Hey, this is Justin Morgan, and Dan and I just want to say thank you so much for just listening to the podcast. We have a blast making these, and it's been really, really cool to get your feedback on the episodes and what you're excited to hear more about as a man. So this week, we're asking if you wouldn't mind logging onto the Facebook page. Let us know what topics, things you're hoping for to hear in upcoming episodes. And if you wouldn't mind just taking time to rate us on iTunes, that would be super helpful for other men to also find this podcast. Thanks for listening and on to the episode. Twenty years, two decades. That's a long time. A lot can happen in twenty years. You can make a generation in 20 years. That's how long it took to make the millennials. 20 years. From 1982 until 2002. In 1982, Michael Jackson released Thriller. Robert Jarvik got the first permanent artificial heart. E.T. was in the movie theaters and Cats was on Broadway. Time Magazine... Well, it named the Computer Man of the Year in 1982. Sony also released the first CD player, and Ronald Reagan was president. Sure, 20 years is a long time, but man, doesn't it go fast? By 2002, Steve Jobs had created the first Mac. We'd been through George Herbert Walker Bush, Bill Clinton, and Monica Lewinsky and wound up with George W. Bush as president. Reality TV had been invented. Al Gore had also given us the internet. And the country had been through the Oklahoma bombing, Columbine, and 9-11. A lot can happen in 20 years. A lot can shape a generation. Time marches on though, right? But when I look at how it's marched, or more to the point, trampled on those 20 years, those years from 1982 to 2002, no wonder the millennials are so distrusting of authority, so reluctant to step into the workplace and marriage and friendships and society as a whole. I mean, look at what they've inherited. But... As King Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes a couple thousand years ago, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Still, I know that nothing is new under the sun, but that doesn't make it any less impactful. The wars, the betrayal, the hypocrisy, this inheritance of the millennials, They're not new, but they still leave a mark. They still cause anger and distrust and inertia. And how does all that affect the millennials' outlook on Jesus and faith and a relationship with God? 
That's what we're talking about today. Stefan Guzowski joins us. Stefan is the pastor to the Millennials, the Young Adults Pastor, and the newly named Denver Campus Pastor, the epicenter of the Flatirons Outreach to the Millennials. Stefan joins us as a Millennial to share his story and what it means to minister to the Millennial generation. This is Dan Foote, Flatirons Men's Community Pastor, and we wrap up our series Millennial Man with Stefan Gazowski. Thanks for joining us for Wake Up Call, the Flatirons Podcast for Men. Um, so, so this is oh, that's my new phone. <laughs> I'm almost sweating your coffee, bro. <laughs> iPhone eight still won't survive a cup of coffee. There we go. We're good. <laughs> Third time has dropped today, so yeah. can't uh, wait for that case. <laughs> so this is kind of like Back to the Future um, because Cole's back with us. Yeah. Come on, yeah, buddy. <laughs> Cole joined in. Uh, Justin is recouping from staffing women's retreat and. Uh, and Cole had just an easy weekend. Not a lot going on. <laughs> Not a lot going on at all. Yeah. Uh, zipping out to Nebraska for a wedding, driving straight back through. Go ahead. Tell us. What, what did you do? Yeah, so did the wedding, which was great. Probably the best wedding I've ever done or ever seen. Why? Because they're still married? Well, they're, yeah, we're going on like two days right now. <laughs> <laughs> Drove through the night, got to the storage unit with our trailers for Aurora, slept in the car for a couple hours. Started doing the load in, load out. Services went great. I had to talk in front of people way longer than usual. Did you have to do that at Denver? No, oh, Zach did Yeah, it. not a fan. The 9 a.m. was great. The 11 a.m. I was like gone. So I was like mumbling on stage. Uh, and then drove the trailers back, got the first two trailers parked, came back for the uh, third one, backing it in, popped a tire right there. <laughs> Full of, it, we're pumping jacks into it and they're falling down because it's too heavy. And what a, what a day. Off of two hours of sleep. And we roll in after staff and women's retreat. I don't know, it was about five. Yeah. And uh, Cole pulls up. <laughs> I said, it looked like someone shot his puppy. <laughs> he looked I was struggling. So, he looked so, like, bummed out. So I was like, are you okay? Yeah, I'm just really tired. I'm just really tired. <laughs> I drove straight through from Nebraska. Oh, did church. <laughs> but I said, are you, are you sure? You're okay. Yeah. yeah. But he's all chipper and happy today. He's got his coffee. He's got oh, his yeah. new phone. ADHD and, meds, we're set. And he's such a servant of Jesus that he's come in to, to handle all of the <laughs> technical side of this. And you'll talk too. Sure. Maybe. Yeah, we'll <laughs> You're actually talking more now than you ever did Never before. did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we got Stefan with us. Because we're doing Millennial Man, you are the pastor to the millennial culture, aren't you? That's me, Dan. Yeah. And you are a millennial. I am. Born when? 84. 1984. Yep. Okay. I'm on the latter part. Yeah. 82 is cut off, I understand. Yeah. 80, 82, somewhere in there. Yeah. And so, but you have a heart for the millennials, don't you? I do. Yeah. Tell us about that. Uh, I think my heart for the millennials is, you know, it's really important that we can relationally connect to each other. And when I was 21 or 22, I didn't have anybody that could relationally connect with me. You know, I had people trying to to preach the gospel at me and tell me how awesome Jesus was, but we have this filter of we need to to trust and like the person right. that, that's speaking to us. And I just never I never had that person. I never had somebody that I thought actually under understood me and could could connect with me. So So tell me about it. Twenty you say twenty twenty one. Yeah. Where were you going to church? Where was that happening? Oh, I was not going to church, Dan. Okay. <laughs> so when you said people were preaching at you, I thought maybe you were 
No, I I grew I grew up in a in a Catholic church, and my mom let me go to like a non denominational youth group that I would consider really similar to Flatirons, yeah. and so youth pastors and and a lot of the the younger folks that I grew up with in the church, you know, would drop me a line every now and again, but I wasn't having much of it at that time in my right. life. So, tell us a little bit about your upbringing, some of the tough stuff you walked through. Yep. Um, so grew up in Broomfield, uh, grew up Catholic. Um, and Cole calls that B town, B town, B town. Yeah. yeah, grew up in B town. <laughs> it's a great place to grow up. I probably appreciate it more now at this point in my life, but hated it when I was a kid. There's just nothing to do but get in trouble, really. So, and you got in trouble a lot, really <laughs> a lot. Like like what? When you say getting in trouble, like you know, there's that that kind of runs the gamut. I had my first felony arrest in ninth grade. I probably graduated with three or four felony arrests and. 10 or 15 tickets. Like when you say arrest, handcuffed in jail. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, so yeah. Tell, tell me about the first one. <laughs> Ninth grade. So, like, I'm thinking, you know. I mean, it's silly stuff for sure. Ninth grade, the first one, we had a good friend move out of town, and we knew his house was vacant. What we didn't know is that he had already sold his house, so it was no longer his parents' right. uh, property. And so we went in there and, and had a just a little hangout. We got burglary tickets for that one okay. for taking something out so of the house. So how long were you in the trust. house before you got caught? Uh, we left the house, and we got caught like an hour later. Okay. But I got a criminal criminal trespassing and criminal burglary in ninth grade. That was fun. Okay. So for, it got to go to diversion, though, and all those things went away, but the next things didn't go away. What were the next things, <laughs> and when did they happen? Dude, I bet I got like five curfew tickets, five MIPs, and probably five possession of marijuana tickets. What's MIP? Minor in possession of alcohol. Okay. So there's Broomfield in a nutshell for you. Curfew tickets, drinking tickets. I never got an MIP. <laughs> oh, I had a few. <laughs> and uh, possession of marijuana tickets. Okay. I got to tell you about my junior year. My junior year is the best story of all, okay. my, tr- of all my trouble stuff. I'm all ears. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> my junior year for prom, and one of my best friends had a credit card with his name on it, even though he wasn't 18, which allowed us to get a uh, a hotel room. Right. Which was actually, in hindsight, our parents were pretty excited that we were going to be in one place and not driving around. And so we get, we get a hotel room. And, uh, you know, of course the, the thing's loaded with beer and of, of that group of friends, I was, I was the only friend that smoked pot and I really liked mushrooms when I was in high school. Um, I like mushrooms and onions too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was my plan for the night was to get all drunk and, and trip some mushrooms. Where do you get the mushrooms? Uh, People. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, you like you had a mushroom your, guy? Your local yeah. drug dealer, yeah. They were more available, I think, when I was younger, but it's been a while since I checked, so I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but uh, on, on the – so our parents, again, they were kind of in support of, okay, we know where they're going to be. At that point, they knew we drank, and I don't know if they were just tired of uh, trying to fight with us about it. But all the parents come to the hotel room. And uh, take pictures and everything. They they know what we're doing. <laughs> and when we're leaving, we're at the very end of a hallway. And my mom and a, another kid's mom knocked on the neighbor's door and just said, "Hey, uh, just so you know, you know our our kids are are here. And if they wake you up, just give them a call or something. You know, 
trying to do a little forward thinking to not get us in trouble later, but those people went down to the front desk and repeated what our parents had said and requested a different room, and that started a whole long night of uh, the hotel security going into our room wow. uh, while we were while we were at dinner. We actually never made it to the dance. We get a call from dinner on the way to the dance, and it's my buddy's dad, and he said, hey, you guys need to come back to the hotel. The hotel security called the police, and they searched your room and all kinds of stuff. So Found the mushrooms. Yep, found, <laughs> found the mushrooms. <laughs> found the mushrooms for sure, which in high school, I you know thought it was a slap on the wrist, right? You know, like, and I didn't want my buddies to get in trouble, so I went right up to the police and said, hey, you know, any any drugs you found are mine. Yeah. And, uh, and uh mushrooms are the only drug that don't have like a, a medicinal purpose you know even even heroin is based in oxycontin and things like that so it's, right. a, it's a schedule one drug and i had no idea so and the broomfield police department hadn't ever seen mushrooms before so they also hit me with possession of a schedule one drug i could have gotten in the same amount of trouble if i had cracker heroin okay but i had mushrooms yeah <laughs> and i had a lot of them and they thought i was going to distribute them and uh yeah so that was fun so my junior prom in my tuxedo handcuffed back of the car left the left the next morning you know yeah. got the old slammer for for a night really my parents were thrilled <laughs> <laughs> and the theme was a night to remember <laughs> yeah yep. it really was and then and then life blew up after that so yeah the expedited things and then so when did you find jesus Yep. So I would say Jesus was always there. So, so I was raised Catholic. Yeah. And we went to church on Sundays because that's what you do on, uh, you know, if you're Catholic. At least it was for me growing up. Yeah. There was never like a stress relationship with Jesus. But my mom let me go to a non-denominational youth group with a bunch of my buddies that I grew up with. And in middle school is when I would mark that like I I made a personal decision about about Jesus being my personal savior. Yeah. And uh, but I probably shelved him. I don't know that I understood a lot what that meant at the time or what it looked like to actually follow Jesus, especially as a kid. Um, but continue to go through the routines until my senior high school. And my senior high school is when my stepdad blows up our family, and then I shelved God pretty hard. Yeah. So, Yeah, can we talk about that? Yeah. So you say he blew up your family. What happened? Yep. So um, – my dad was, my stepdad was part of the group of people that I think created identity theft. They were slightly ahead of the curve. Um, and he essentially opened a fake real estate company and kind of presented to my mom for years that he was this highly successful real estate agent and that he was selling a lot of houses and making a lot of money. And, um, the reality was he probably hadn't worked or sold an actual house in, in a five year span. So yeah. there was no income coming in and high school was a, was a good time for sure, but it all came to a, a crashing halt about two weeks before my, my senior year of high school started. So he finally ran out, ran out of money, decided he was going to try to commit suicide and he, he ended up living, but, um, everything, uh, kind of started to unwind over the next couple of weeks. How that changes my life is, uh, you know, he was just my stepdad, but we go from, you know, one night, not wanting for anything to the next night, you know, learning what it, what it's like to, uh, you know, provide by right. the grace of other people, you know, right. survive. Um, and, and I moved out pretty quickly, so I can't say that I had to struggle through all that. My mom and my little brother went through, right. went through a lot. I kind of, kind of ran away. My mom had so much to worry about. She 
couldn't really keep tabs on me and I didn't want to be around the house. And so, but yeah, so life changed drastically and, uh, shelved God, wasn't mad at God. I've never been the guy that really blamed God mm-hmm. for anything that happened in my life, but, uh, couldn't make sense of him, uh, maybe being good or thinking that he could actually, you know, do anything to change the circumstances. And in hindsight, now I can look back and, and see that his hands were all over sure. things and things could have been right. much worse. But at the time, drugs, alcohol, girls right. were, a, were a much more tangible fix than, than a God I couldn't see when I was younger. So, so did you have some kind of clarifying moment where... Yeah, so, I mean, 18 to 23 or 24 is pretty much a disaster. You know, I was really, really sad, and it came out in anger. And any way I could, you know, try to numb that, I I did. Alcohol, you know, drugs, girls, whatever. And then uh, when I was 24, 25, I got engaged. And uh, I think subconsciously it was my my next thing that I was going to try to kind of fix this hole that was in my heart. Mm-hmm. You know, my family blew up, so I think I fake. And, the, and this girl had had two young kids, and I think in my head, uh, if I could be a good dad and a good husband, you know, this was going to cover up. It'll some, fix stuff. Yeah, it'll fix stuff for right. sure. And so she pretty quickly uh, saw through saw through uh, the facade that I'd put on that I was ready to be a, a father or a husband. And she called the wedding off a, c- a couple months before we were going to get married. But what did that do to you? No, uh, that, that's where my testimony really starts. So that's the fall of 2009. So at that point, somebody had a coworker of mine had introduced me to flat irons mm-hmm. at that point. And so I'd come off and on a bit, but I'd never been in a church that wasn't Catholic. So, I mean, it really did take me for, take me a while, uh, to adjust to coming to Flatirons. I wasn't sure it counted, you know, nobody's dressed up. Right. Nobody's <laughs> kneeling. Jesus isn't nailed to a cross somewhere in the no, building. No, no, the preacher's got jeans on. We're not right. taking communion every week. So, um, but, you know, like, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit's doing something. And I think after some time, I really started, you know, started to love it. And so we had been coming for a little bit. And when she called everything off, like that was kind of my, come to Jesus moment for sure. Um, my engagement to her was a big excuse to walk out of a pretty rough season of my life. And I, right. uh, and so that was kind of my moment where I knew if I went back to my old lifestyle, like I knew what it looked like and it was just a matter of time. I mean, I remember real specifically just driving on 104th, uh, and drove by 7-Eleven and it just real specific time and moment that I remember just crying out to God saying, Hey, I believe you're real and I believe you got something different from my life. And, um, mm-hmm. I don't know what that is, but I need you to show up. So that's fall 2009. And, uh, I make a decision that I'm not going to miss flat irons for a while. So I, I probably came every Sunday for the next 12 months between church and counseling. And I also moved and I changed my phone number. And that was probably one of like the saving graces of my life. Kind of severed from those friends. Yeah. Let, let me thin out a lot of people, start making some new community really. And uh, the spring of 2010, uh, this is when we're still in the feed store. There's a, a merge uh, trip going to Afghanistan right? and it was 18 to 25 years old. I really hadn't gotten involved at that point. You know, I hadn't really met anybody. I was still just the guy sneaking in the back and Mm -hmm. sneaking, sneaking back out when service was over. Um, but for whatever reason that day, um, I was like, Hey, I'm going to go to this interest meeting. And I couldn't have told you what a missionary was. I didn't know what a mission trip was. I mean, the only context I had was like mother Teresa, you know, sure. so I don't, yeah. don't exactly know what I was <laughs> signing up for. I definitely call it kind of a Holy spirit moment for sure. But I went on that trip and that trip was, was probably, you know, my, my, my significant moment right. where God said, Hey, I, I had to take you halfway around the world. 
to tell you that I got a different plan for your life. Mm. And, uh, I commonly talk about that time as like my, my Matthew moment. You know, here's this moment when Jesus comes up to Matthew as a tax collector. He knows every reason that Matthew's not qualified to follow him. And yet he just says, follow me. He doesn't say, Hey, go get all your stuff together. Just follow right. me. And honestly, getting on that plane to Afghanistan was, was my follow me moment. There's still plenty of areas in my life that I needed to clean up and, and weren't, uh, a good example of following Jesus, but I got on that plane and however the Holy Spirit communicates with me, I had a, probably my first kind of God moment in Afghanistan where I felt like God just said, Hey, I got a different plan for you. I'm going to use yeah. you to bring some people to me and, and, uh, kind of the rest is history. So, so. tell me about the God moment. Uh, was it a particular moment? Yeah. Where were you? Because, yeah. You know, I, I went to Afghanistan, Afghanistan. Yeah, the year yeah. after that. So go yep. ahead. So we, we had a pretty fun, uh, we had a really fun trip in hindsight. There was this particular day where we got to go um, give a lot of medical supplies to mm-hmm. like a refugee camp. And we're kind of on the outskirts of town. And we, we set up in this this building that just the foundation had been, had been poured. And it was just a neat experience because the American military came and kind of set up a perimeter around us. And it was Navy doctors and stuff that were helping us administer the supplies. And so yeah. just w- one of the more profound spiritual days of my life. You know, I showed up to Afghanistan thinking I wasn't going to see God at all. And then in this very profound way, I, you know, he was, yeah. he was just all over this day. And, um, little did we know it, but later that day, um, th- there was some kind of high level, you know, threat right. in, in Kabul. And, uh, they didn't tell us this, but it led them to take us to a Stalif because they wanted us to get out of town. Mm-hmm. And then we got to go on a, on a camping trip. So a lot of teams have gone to a Stalif, as I understand, but right. we, um, we got to go on a hike. Uh, maybe two or three hours up into the Hindu Kush mountain range. And mm. there was this amazing kind of cabin place way up in the mountains that we got to stay in for the night. And uh, when we get up there, I mean, it was really neat walking up there. You're walking past a lot of, you know, tribal people who I, I'd imagine they've been living the same way for a thousand years, you know? Well, yeah. Like when you come into a stall of, it looks like, I said this is like Jesus Town. It, oh yeah, it absolutely. looks like what you you see like renderings of what the buildings look like back in Jesus' day. I mean, yep. that's I said they should come and film some Jesus movie here <laughs> in, in the heart should. of, <laughs> <in> the heart <laughs> of Afghanistan. That's, right. that's a great way to put it. I mean, if they've never seen an American soldier, then they definitely hadn't seen an American at all, right? And uh, you know, no electricity, still farming, like the whole nine yards. And so that was just a real surreal moment. It's almost like walking back in time up there. So it was. It was right on a, a, a beautiful river, and it was in the evening. And I just remember going and sitting on a rock. And uh, if there was a, a a moment of surrender, I suppose that might have been it. You know, mm-hmm. just sitting on that rock, telling Lord, like my life's yours. Like, sign me up. I'll do this forever. And again, what you know, I'm not a don't consider myself a hyper spiritual person. The clouds didn't part. I didn't get a right. phone call from Jesus in that moment. But right. you know, but something was, changed. Yeah, something changed on the you Hindu know. Kush mountains. Yep. Yeah. So now. You you moved into overseeing young adult ministry. Uh, you were the uh, – for how long now? For almost a year, maybe? Yeah, Christmas yeah. of last year. And uh, and then you're shifting focus even more. Kind of share about that. Yep. So, yeah, shifting focus and some new responsibilities. Um, but we uh, – 
over a course of, uh, again, I think a few kind of spirit led moments this year, um, it became clear that it was time to, to move the heart of the young adult ministry to the city. Um, love what we've done for the last, you know, 10 years in the Boulder, Boulder County area. Um, but you only have to take one trip through Denver to know that, you know, our age and our age range and our generation is heavily involved in the city and it's kind of the epicenter for our generation right now. So it was just, it it seemed like a pretty obvious move to come to the city and all the things and all the people that Jesus tells us to care about are, are very uh, visible in the city as well, you know? So made sense to move down there and um, yeah, that was already happening. And then, uh, with some other transitions coming around here, there's an opportunity to uh, to lead the Denver campus as well. And so now I'm leading the Denver campus and the young adult ministry. Yeah. And uh, my wife and I and our new babies are moving to the city, and we couldn't be more excited to really be getting involved in the right. community down there. So, so when are you guys moving? We, uh, we close on our house next Monday, and uh, we also have a, a high schooler. Um, as you know, right. and he doesn't graduate till till Christmas. He's actually going to graduate early and ship out to the Marines. But so we're we're going to stay up here until until he graduates. So probably January. And you're fostering him. We are. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yeah. That's the best best term for it. And uh, you know, your story was recently kind of displayed for everybody. Yeah. Uh, what you and Molly have walked through yep. infertility and all that. And now you've got two beautiful little twin babies. Yep. Two months old. Two months old. Keeping Molly awake, but not you. <laughs> I know. My wife's a trooper. I've, ne- I've never been so sure I married the right woman in the last two months, that's for sure. So. That's great. So let's talk about millennial. I think the first time that I actually ever heard somebody in this building use the phrase millennial, it was you. I think we had breakfast. Was it me? Yeah. <laughs> it was you talking about your generation, and it's the first time I heard someone call them the millennials. So as you, as you're looking at, you are now, you stepping into this new role uh, for the last not quite a year. You're the pastor of young adult ministry. Now you're moving into. You're also going to oversee uh, the the campus down in Denver, with the understanding that that's going to be kind of like the epicenter for young adult ministry, which is the millennials. Right. So what are the struggles that you see in? Reaching out to them, sure. What are the and and uh, let's go to that first. Now, then I'm going to talk about after that. I want to talk about there's everybody talks about the negative stuff. There's positive stuff too. I'm going to talk about that too. So, but first, what, what do you see as far as reaching out to millennials? The cha- the challenges in there. Yeah. Well, one one of the reasons that we moved to the city, one that I was really passionate about is, you know, up here in Lafayette, we have some great partners. You know, we've got Sister Carmen. um, We've got, you know, Sanchez Elementary School. um, But our generation definitely has a desire to really get involved. You know, we are a generation that that cares very much for social issues and the things that are going on around us. And I think that's a huge piece when we look at – kind of making Christianity appealing to our generation, specifically to maybe those that aren't following Jesus yet, is um, at, at the heart of the message of Christianity um, is, is caring for the marginalized in this world. And, um, you know, I'm not pulling any punches here. I think that's a great um, 
not tactic, but approach to presenting Christianity and the gospel mm-hmm. um, to our generation. Um, and so moving to the city, there's just uh, an endless amount of opportunities to love the people that Jesus has told us to love. And so it was always hard to kind of mobilize people here in the community in a big, big group uh, to go out and and start loving some of these people. And um, I think if 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 Christianity is just going to be reduced to uh, preaching at our generation in pews and never actually getting out of those pews, mm. um, our generation is going to stop coming to church. So action is an integral part. Oh, action is a huge part. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm really excited about our partnerships with Open Door Ministries and um there's just a ton of really good ministries happening in the city, so I'm I'm looking forward to partnering with some other ones. But right. um, even just just early on into the game, there's going to be some awesome opportunities to really um, help mobilize our generation to get out there and uh, both do what God's called us to do. But at the same time, it's our opportunity to almost evangelize through through our actions and say, right. "Hey, come be a part of of what we're doing." So social media and technology has also changed the playing field oh, too. Yeah. I mean, we got Cole. He's got his new iPhone eight. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and um, and I'm sitting here with you know, mine still works on dial up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's when iPhone still had a cord attached yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to a building. That's why you're always tripping, uh, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there is that uh, technology is a huge part of this, yep. isn't it? Yep. I mean, you have to use. Technology, you have to use social media in a m- much more advanced way. Yep. So I, I I never thought these would line up, but I'm I'm still grinding out school, uh, one class at a time here or there. But I'm getting a degree in communications, and through my ke- communications degree, actually, I think I've learned the most about. Um, our generation and and how to appeal to us looking at how other businesses are approaching um engaging our generation but right. um yeah that that's where we're at you know and so if you're looking to connect with us um that's where you need to go to connect yeah. and i think that's still a pretty untapped world for the church as a whole as we move forward about how we're going to further engage our generation through the web you know our hope will always be that we eventually will walk in the doors of a place and and actually right. get in community and sit around a you know a circle in somebody's home and, and talk about our life but um it's a it's a big jump to go from you know wherever we're at to that and, and to think that you're not going to engage us in social media so um yeah it, it's a huge piece that's where we're at that's where we want to be engaged there's tons of statistics about how many times you have to engage us before we'll actually take a step out of our house and right. and come to your thing um but yeah we can't ignore that that's where we're at and i think it's a it's a hard tension because i think a, a lot of the the baby boomers and, and some of the, the older generations that are still heavily in charge in church are looking at our generation thinking that we're going to kind of mold to how things used to be. And right. I think statistics are showing that that's just not working. So, Oh, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. Um, I, I've been on this kick. Um, I, uh, I've been telling everybody to watch the movie The Founder. Okay. Uh, which is about Ray Kroc. Yeah, who, great movie. Yeah. And the, the thing that uh, I'm... I've been pointing people to is that it's not just a movie about how the guy created McDonald's, you know, hamburgers and all that. 
it's about two brothers that started this restaurant and had a passion for it, but they wanted to stick to the old ways. Yep. And you had this other guy that came in that had no, he just saw their idea and wanted to like, he wanted to share it with the world. His whole thing was like, you need to do this for America. And they fought it and kept fighting it. And he came in and took their idea, took their recipes and everything and changed some stuff that they weren't happy about. But eventually ends up... He doesn't steal the company. He buys the company from them because they just can't keep up with him. Right. And he then, now we have a McDonald's. And at the end of the movie, it says, <laughs> it, McDonald's feeds 1% of the world's population. Now, you can, we're not going to debate whether that's healthy or not. Forget that. It's delicious, though. It is. Come on, give me that. <laughs> a quarter pounder with cheese and fries and a Diet Coke to balance it all out. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what I'm getting to is you can sit there and wish that things used to be like they used to be. What happened with the McDonald's brothers is they lost their name. Right. And so looking at how do we reach the next generation and then the generation after that, because you, the millennials, are raising kids who there's no telling what their culture is going to be like. Yeah. I, mean, I got grandkids that before they could talk, they knew how to use the iPhone. They knew right. how to swipe for pictures. and right. um, So there's, there's all of that in, involved with reaching out to the millennials and the struggles that, that lie there. And to me, the biggest struggle almost seems to be what you just said. The older generation going, you have to adapt. Right. You have to change if you're going to reach people. Um, even as I'm sitting there, and this is, <laughs> me, this is just a, a God thing. We're sitting here doing this podcast because Cole is the one that said, you need, need to think about doing a podcast. Right. And I was like, oh, what's a podcast? <laughs> you know? Um, and then we're reaching more people through this podcast than we ever did with anything else in men's ministry. Sure. So there, there is that. That to me, that, that to me is I don't want to fight this. So I, I want to talk now about the positives and negatives. I've asked every man that I've in, uh, invited in here, what do you think? What, what are your thoughts when someone calls you a millennial? Um, that does offend a lot of people. And I, I would say most people in my generation don't like that title. Right. Um, but I've come to. And uh, why is that? Accept it. I don't think we like titles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't, we don't want to be pigeonholed. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's borderline offensive, but I think, I don't know. In, in my position, it, it just kind of is what it is. And I look right. at it more, maybe scientifically than, than take it personal and, I'm also really proud of my generation. I think we are going to make a big, a big impact. I think a lot of people, we're going to look back someday in the history books and the millennial generation would have changed a lot in this world. So I'm proud of that title. And I think more of us will be in the future. Sure. Because right now you hear, you hear the negatives. You know, we, we've talked about this in this podcast, the entitlement. Sure. They don't work hard. They're, you know, socially disengaged. Right. Um, in a, in a time where social media is crazy, sure. So what we kind of let's put the negatives to the side. What about the positives? What do what do you see as the positive side of your generation? I think our generation like sincerely cares about what's going on in the world. You know, whether it's whether it's politics, whether it's you know human trafficking, sex trafficking, whether it's pipelines, diseases. Like it, it we care, and we're willing to go out there 
and and show that we care. And uh, I think that will define our generation 20 or 30 years from now because we're willing to stand up and, and make some changes. So so the criticism has always has been, yeah, they care. That means they're going to do something on social media. They're sure. going to like something right. or dislike something. Right. But as far as actually going out, boots on the ground, making a sure. difference – those numbers really haven't lined up with that, have they? Sure. So how do you get how do you get them engaged to sure to I, be I, more involved than just sure. yeah you posted something on on Twitter? Uh, it, you you know I've been reading a lot recently about um, you know there's a lot of people who are trying to figure out uh, what different causes and issues uh, our generation uh, will get behind and we're starting to figure out the what's not as important as, as the how yeah. and I, I think we're just starting to um to answer those questions and figure it out well with it within the within the church context uh, unfortunately there there's always this piece of having to appeal to the personal benefit of 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 a millennial if you will you know mm-hmm. if at the core of christianity is dying to self you know the the biggest obstacle still for us is what will christianity you know give me right. and so um i think that that continuing that message of just follow me and and allowing the holy spirit space to actually work um because when we're when we're still, you know, in our rooms behind our computers, sitting on our phones, the opportunities for the Holy Spirit, I think, are less. So when we can create opportunities for, um, and, and again, boots on the ground opportunities, this isn't mm-hmm. about more, you know, social barbecues and, and chili cookoffs and stuff like that. It really is. Um, a, oh, we call them potluck dinners pot, back in my potluck day. dinners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it. It can't be uh, more ice cream socials and stuff like that. Right. Um, it's got to be. Hey, come join us because we're doing this march or we're serving this demographic of people. And I mean, that's what I'm really excited about as far as these changes in this ministry. I'm looking forward to creating as many opportunities as possible for us to get out in the community and and go serve. And I think if somebody will will take that first step to come, mm-hmm. um, it it appeals in in a lot of different a lot of different ways and you know it's it's no it's no hidden fact that our generation also has some of the highest levels of depression and anxiety and things mm-hmm. like that and um at the core of our generation we're 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 really looking for purpose kind of like Jim's been been preaching on and um there's something that uh, that appeals to that need right. when when we show up and serve and again I don't mind leveraging that because at some point the holy spirit's going to leverage that too sure. and, and heart change will come in that but yeah creating those opportunities to bump into Jesus well that still needs to happen on Sunday for our generation it's got to balance out and it's got to happen other days of the week out in your community with your neighbors and your city that type of thing going forward so hey while we got coal in the room uh you're overseeing the aurora campus Mm -hmm. are you looking at some are you pointing them to uh these the millennials are you pointing them to the denver campus or are you trying to factor this in too or uh we're pointing them to because you guys launch october 4th we're pointing them to that but we're not pointing them away for Sundays because right. them moving out of their community is not what they're looking like just what he's talking about they're looking for change where they're at right. um, and so for them to be a part of it at Denver on Wednesday nights and then to be a part of it on on Sundays as well in Aurora is huge we're looking at setting up our local partners right now and that's that's the biggest thing is like people are asking me now we're three weeks in four weeks in how do I get involved how do I get involved at the church how do I get involved in the community right um, I think millennials don't necessarily care about organization they don't care that they go to Flatirons Church 
they care that they're going to get fed. Um, they don't care about the big organizations like Red Cross. They look at what causes people are doing. They're, they're all about causes. They're all about backing causes. Um, and so to get them behind a cause of taking care of the people around them is, is huge. Okay. So as you begin, it's next Wednesday, right? Yep. You launch next Wednesday. And so this podcast will drop, I think, the week after you've launched. Okay. And um, what, what, does, what does success look like for you? Within that ministry, within the ministry as a whole, within ministering to the millennials, when you think about that, when I and I hate to use that word success, but I'm just saying, yeah. Sure. What, do, what does success look yeah. like for you? How are we measuring success? For yeah. sure, I think that's important. Um, so, two, twofold to yeah. So we have a once a month uh, gathering that's going to be awesome. You know, over the top worship. Um, Luke and and John led it last uh, last week for our soft launch, and it was it was amazing. They did a five song set that was uh, real special. Um, having Luke Forget Jim, and John meeting. Yep. Yeah. And uh, having Jim come down will be awesome too. So th- that room's great. Um, but again, to everything I just said, we you know we've got to get out of that room. So I'm hoping that room can be a platform. It's intentional that we're only meeting once a month, and that we want it to be inspirational. We want it to be vision casting to get out and and go do. And the first place that we really are hoping that the young adults of Flatirons go is into into community groups and what we're what we've dubbed home groups for the time being. But. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest the step one, you know, going back, we've talked to the, about this a lot um, at this church the last couple of years, but this idea of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, I think um, that's a good place to start. You know, if, uh, if out of the overflow of our hearts, the mouth speaks, I think to get our generations to start looking uh, at what's going on inside so that we can better prepare to go out to the community is a good place to start. So really trying to focus this generation and, and every every young adult to get in community. Um, essentially, that's really what we want. We want to be known. We want to know that people care about us. Like, let's take away all the other stuff. I think that's the a big piece of who we are. And so creating opportunities for people to just come together in basements, 10 or 15 people in living rooms, and just starting to do life with each other, get to know each other, and then really figure out what's it look like to be a Christian in, in today's culture. I once heard years ago that the word Christian in the original Greek literally means little Christ, little replicas of Jesus. And as Stefan said there, he's looking to pastor and shepherd his generation into discovering what a Christian looks like in his culture. All of us, these followers of Jesus, little mini Jesuses. Honestly, that's not even a generational thing, is it? I mean, that isn't new. There's nothing new under the sun there. That's been going on for 2,000 years, carrying the gospel, the message of Jesus, to a lost and broken world. It echoes back to what I read from the front end of this podcast from Ecclesiastes 1.9. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. And as far as history goes, and carrying the banner of hope and redemption found only in Jesus, there's nothing new in 2,000 years. But it looks new to lots of people, people who haven't heard the gospel or, or lots of the millennials who, as Jim likes to say, 
people who have been sold a bad Jesus. What about you? Have you been sold a bad Jesus? Are you struggling to see Jesus in your culture because of the the brokenness of these little mini Jesuses? Poor representations of our risen Lord? The tougher question for me, the question that convicts me and breaks my heart on a regular basis is this. Am I getting in the way? Am I such a poor example of Jesus, such a broken mini-Jesus, that I'm driving the lost away? What does a Christian look like in this culture when you look in the mirror? Next week, we'll be venturing into some very, very deep water. Next week, we're starting a new series, Damaged. And over the next four weeks, I'll be sitting down with four very brave men to hear their stories of abuse in their childhood and the damage that it caused and how they've worked and are continuing to work through that damage. My friend Cole Heslop joins us next week and and he bravely shares his past struggles and the hope and the healing that he's found. Where does that come from? Where yeah. does that suppression kind of come from? Yeah, absolutely. I think it come for me specifically. I think I can look back now and say that it probably came out of a um, a survival mode. Um, almost like I just I remember there's some there's some big things that happened to me as a kid, um, and they continued on for years, and I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know why it was happening, and um, so I just kind of suppressed it. Please join us next week for this powerful story of pain, struggle, and restoration. This is Dan Foote, and this is Wake Up Call, the Flatirons podcast for men.